Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Do you ever make plans, think things through? You know when a plan comes together, and I don't know if your household's this way, but this is how my household is. A lot of times we're making it up as we go but we know we're making it up as we go. And other times, like on a rare occasion, we'll actually think something through and it'll unfold in front of us and we'll go, why don't we uh, Why don't we plan better? I kind of feel like college football is doing that today. Have you seen the transfer portal? Have you seen the activity? The line outside the transfer portal is like the line to get into Disneyland when they open a new ride. Players all jumping around. There's no room for all the players. Like, the math doesn't work out. Got players that have had great seasons at some schools that are opting out, jumping in the portal after consulting with my family, after praying hard about it. They've all decided that uh, they need to be somewhere else. A lot of players moving around. Dan Lanning said it, Oregon coach, yesterday in his news conference. He said, hey, just what we had in mind. That got me thinking to what college football was thinking about when it instituted the ability, a 45-day window now open, effective today, for players to transfer from one university to another. There's a second window that is briefer, uh, more brief, that happens in May, right around spring football. But uh, I don't think this is what college football had in mind. You know, if I'm going back to my original thought, like how – if college football had planned out what the portal would look like, what it would feel like, what the movement would be like, what players' reactions would be, what the NIL, the name, image, likeness, money, and the collectives, how they would dovetail or fit into the transfer portal, uh, how would it affect the landscape? Uh, how about programs themselves? Like, I, I don't think we're that far away. I had somebody today reach out to me and say, hey, uh, you know, do you think that the – respective sports inside an athletic department do they each need like a general manager now to kind of manage manage the roster because there's so much turnover dan lanning was out over the weekend i know that he went out to uh michigan to visit with a recruit dante moore one of the quarterbacks that's committed to oregon and then he ended up in las vegas on saturday and he has hired a new offensive coordinator and he's recruiting and you're seeing images of him making home visits, and Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, was in Wichita, Kansas on Friday. Then he went on to Florida on Saturday, and then Dallas, Texas on Sunday, then back to Corvallis for the bowl announcement. And, oh, by the way, who on your team jumped in the portal? Like, you have to look over your shoulder if you're a college football coach and look back at your own roster and go, okay, wait a minute, who's not there that was there before? It really did get me to thinking about the times in my life when I thought things out and I planned them out. And I don't think college football intended 
to end up in the position that it's in. But yet here we are with the transfer portal leading the day, and a lot of rosters going to look different. Oregon having several players leaving. Oregon State's got some players leaving. They'll get some players inbound. I don't know. Maybe the coaching staff already knew that some players were leaving or coming in. Maybe they just figure this is the cost of doing business in today's world. But it's really a remarkable time to kind of watch college football. And I'm wondering where all these players are going to go because it, it just doesn't make sense. Like the numbers don't work. It feels like about 40% of the players that go into the portal aren't going to have somewhere to go. So are they just jumping into the portal, uh, like kind of like with restricted free agency in the NBA, hoping that they get uh, an NIL offer or hoping that some coach at some other university recruits them again and they could feel that special feeling that they had when they were in high school when coaches used to come to their campus or make home visits and make them feel wanted and do they, do they miss being recruited, I guess, is what I'm wondering. And then, uh, you know, there are some bona fide examples of players who are getting into the portal that it, it just makes sense. Like, yeah, they're not a good fit at their respective university, or maybe they weren't going to get an opportunity. And so I look at those players and I go, hey, that, that's kind of what the spirit of the portal was. You see, the transfer portal was supposed to give athletes an opportunity to do what coaches do. Deion Sanders leaves Jackson State, right? He coaches in the game on Saturday, catches a plane, he arrives in Boulder, and by Saturday night, Coach Prime is being introduced on Sunday, and then he's meeting with players, and what does he say to them? He says, uh, in part, uh, you know, get yourself into the portal. And and I liked what Deion Sanders had to say, by the way. I'm not knocking what he said, because I feel like a lot of coaches aren't honest when they arrive on a campus about their intentions. And I think what Deion Sanders was telling his players was, hey, get on the bus or get in the portal. Meaning, meaning look, uh, I'm going to work you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, and we are going to change the culture of the program. And if you're not about that, then uh, I'm going to bring people in who are about it, and so you might as well get into the portal. And I think he said it in a way that I think kids in his program will understand. I think it's brilliant. Because the rest of us are going, oh, how could he say that? But coaches all the time do that. Coaches will tell the players, hey, you have good standing with me, all the returning players, you know, I'm not going to take your scholarships away, and then proceed to hold workouts or institute requirements or be so demanding and jerky that the players will uh, defect anyway because they're basically being told, you don't have a place here. It happens all the time. Willie Taggart did it. At Oregon, he ran some players off with workouts. Uh, coaches do it all the time, and, and they don't always use workouts. Some of them just meet with the players and say, yeah, you can stay here. I'll honor your scholarship, but, you know, you're never going to play. And, you know, players don't want to hear that, and so they leave. So I think what Deion Sanders was doing at Colorado was something that I think we're going to see a lot of coaches do because co college coaches have lost control of their rosters. They've lost the ability to know – how many spots they have, how many scholarships they have for certain entering a year. It used to be within a reasonable number. They could tell you, I'm going to have 13 scholarships, or I'm going to have 15 scholarships, or I'm going to need 18 scholarships, or I only have five. I really need to make this recruiting cycle count. But in this world, the coaches don't know. They don't have control of that. And so I think you're going to see more coaches push back. You're going to see, I think, hires within individual athletic departments for major college football programs that resemble a general manager. I think you're going to see a push 
from college coaches to to uh, you know to level the playing field, so to speak, by offering that you know, hey, look, the portal's great, but if we're going to institute the transfer portal, we want to have the ability within NCAA rules to cut you and not honor your scholarship, because I think you're going to see uh, coaches push back at some point, and there will be a correction where they just say, hey, we can't do this anymore. We're going to find out what happens. But about 40% of the players that are in the portal don't have anywhere to go. So there just aren't scholarships available to them. So what are they going to do, turn around and go back after jumping in the portal? I think some of those coaches will take them, but I think you're going to see some regrets and maybe some self-correction that happens on the landscape of college football. we got a great show today. We're going to go to Boulder, Colorado. Why? Because Coach Prime did. We'll visit with Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera. He is the guy who is in the center of the three-ring circus now at Colorado. He was minding his business covering Colorado football. He went from Mel Tucker to Carl Durrell to, oh, it's going to be a coaching search, to uh, what was the most bizarre and interesting news conference for an introductory, an introductory news conference for a coach that people have seen in some time. I think it's a great hire by Rick George at Colorado. I think he got it right. I think Colorado has very little to lose and a lot to gain by investing in Deion Sanders and going, you know, $6 million to Coach Prime. I also think it tells us that the Pac-12 conference members know that they're going to get more money than they anticipated in this media rights deal that is wrapping up and should be wrapped up uh, shortly after Christmas and maybe early into the next year. Rick George, the AD at Colorado, said it. He said, hey, we don't have the money right now, but we know we're going to get it. He said that during the news conference. I thought that was interesting. So keep an eye on that. But I think it's good for the Pac-12. It's a win for the Pac-12. I think it's a win for Colorado. I think, uh, you know, on Saturday it was the SEC championship game. It was the Big Ten championship game. All the buzz in college football was around those two games and the playoff, uh, you know, seedings that were going to come out on Sunday. And, and everybody's talking about that. And Rick George quietly climbed to the top of the high dive at the pool in the college football pool. And he uh, adjusted his goggles, and everybody was talking about the SEC teams and the Big Ten teams and what's going to happen with TCU and, you know, what's wrong with the Pac-12. And while that was going off, he performed a cannonball off the high dive and splash into the pool, announced, hey, Prime, Coach Prime is coming to Colorado. Now, that was interesting. And on Friday, when I was inside the stadium for the Utah-USC game in Las Vegas, uh, you know, the Pac-12 people were buzzing about Deion Sanders. And I said, is this happening? And they just nodded like, yeah, it is. And I think the Pac-12 is super excited that Deion Sanders is in this conference. It, it just adds a level of intrigue. It, it adds some sizzle. Uh, I don't think everybody's happy about it, but I want your reaction to it. We're going to go to, uh, to Boulder coming up at the bottom of the hour. Brian Howell will tell us what that news conference was like. What was it like to see the entourage? Because Deion Sanders is bringing people with him. He's bringing a publicist. He's bringing a marketing team. He's not arriving by himself. But I'm looking at Deion Sanders, and I'm going, musician, author, reality television show host, pitchman for Pepsi, pitchman for American Express, um, guy that was a, an analyst. Oh, he's a pro football Hall of Famer. Oh, he played two sports. There's nothing Deion Sanders is unable to do. Can he fix Colorado football? Hell, he's done harder things than that in his career. I'll stick around for it. I want your reaction to Deion Sanders to Colorado. I want your reaction to the transfer portal. 
Is this madness driving you crazy? I think it's driving coaches crazy. 503-417-7575 is the number. You got the BFT. I want you here for it. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I know a little bit about Oregon's offensive coordinator hire. We'll talk about that this hour as well. Will Stein is going to be the next man in at the University of Oregon as the play caller. 33-year-old, comes to Oregon from the University of Texas, San Antonio, played his college ball at Louisville, uh, played for Charlie Strong, among others at Louisville. Uh, really good reputation. I called around, asked some people, what do you think of this guy? Who is he? And they said, uh, good hire, uses his players well. Also, um, uh, he knows how to uh, uh, use some, uh, he's very innovative, at least the film that they've seen of him, very innovative stuff that's getting passed around. So I think it's a kind of an edgy, little fun, outside-the-box hire by Oregon. And I'm curious, too, like, you know, we're talking a little bit about Deion Sanders going to Colorado. I'm wondering if like Arizona State or even Oregon is sitting back going, damn, why didn't we think of that? Like, why didn't we do that sooner? 503-417-7575. Tell me what you think of the Deion Sanders hire by Colorado. What does it do for this conference? Will it work? Will he win? Or is it just splashy and for now? Even if it's just splashy and for now, I still can't blame Colorado. Judah Newby. What'd you make of the hire? Steven, what'd you think of Deion Sanders to Colorado? Yeah, personally, I was surprised. Um, and then when it all became official, I was like, should I have been surprised? Uh, I guess I could talk myself into it. Uh, I was surprised because I thought Dion could have done better Yeah, <laughs> from a profile standpoint. But um, maybe Dion has got a little bit more of a plan than I would have given him credit for. You know, maybe he's thinking that Colorado is a natural next step in my job trajectory over the long haul rather than being like a final destination. Do you think that's possible? Yes. I I think my I, I share like back to your original point about being surprised that he couldn't do better. I thought that too initially I thought he might be using Colorado to get a better offer. But then the more I thought about it, you know, that's FCS football. That's the equivalent of Portland State, you know, coach Bruce Barnum being hired by Oregon or Oregon State. It's quite a leap. And they would ha- pass over a ton of candidates to get there. No offense to Bruce Barnum. He's a, he's a great football coach, and he may end up with a better job himself here in this coaching cycle. But um, I, I was surprised that he didn't have better options, and then the more I thought about it, he is a risk. I mean, he hasn't done it. And he is dealing with academic standards at Colorado now that he didn't have at the, at the job he had before. That said, I'll be really curious to see how he does in the portal and whatnot. Yeah, for me, John. The rift outweighs the, the, uh, the reward. Or what am I saying here? It's a risky hire, but like. Yeah, the reward not, outweighs the risk. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Because how yeah. much farther. The complete can opposite of what you were saying. Exactly, yeah. That's, <laughs> you knew what I meant. But wow. how far can Colorado really fall, right? Like, it's already down enough. So if Dion fails and isn't a good coach, it can't go much worse than it has been. So I think the fact that Dion's coming in and he's talking about, you know, getting his own guys in there and he's going to use the transfer portal, like. 
he's going to build his own program. And if it works, it could be really good because he does have um, the energy and you know, the the reputation of being one of the best players of all time in the NFL and in college and have that personality that is what you need in a college football coach. It's not necessarily about X's and O's in college football anymore. It's about getting good recruits and keeping those recruits, right? And I think Dion can recruit, you know, his tail off. He got guys at Jackson State. He can get guys in the Pac-12. So I think it's a good hire. Uh, I'm not completely sold if it's going to work yet, but if I'm Colorado, I would be very excited because I think this is a chance for them to get back to where they were, uh, where this was once a really good program. I mean, think back to the, the Fiesta Bowl when they played the Ducks with Joey Harrington. Like, this team was right there for the BCS championship. And now, you know, I think not that it's going to be this next season with Dion, but the expectations are going to be start getting higher where Colorado is expected to win. I, I think it makes sense for both sides because on one hand, Colorado could have hired just these same old retread head coaches that you see getting opportunities out there. And instead, they went for something splashy, outside the box, different. Like, you know, hey, I, t I started the show by talking about the transfer portal and how ridiculous it is. There's going to be nobody better equipped to be the Pied Piper of the transfer portal than Deion Sanders at a Power 5 conference university. He doesn't have proof of performance to sell. He's got himself to sell, and he's always done that. He's one of the great salesmen, and I think that works for them. For Dion. This is a chance for him probably to use it as a stepping stone, as has been pointed out. But also, I think Colorado would be okay with that, saying, look, you're going to elevate us from a one-win program to, you know, can you get us to relevancy? And we don't even care if you move on to the next job. I think the job he probably ultimately wants was, is Florida State. But he's bringing his son, who is a quarterback. He's probably bringing his other son, who's a defensive back. He is bringing credibility to a program that has been a laughingstock. And so... I get it, man. I covered Jerry Tarkanian. You know, I covered him not at UNLV, but at Fresno State. And Fresno State made the same trade. It said, look, we know this isn't UNLV. We know that it's going to be a bit of a sideshow. But, man, it's going to bring some credibility to our program. We're going to get players we never imagined we could get, and they did. And suddenly people were talking about them as a Final Four team. Yeah, this is like my – yeah. I'll think about it this way, like – Conference championship games just happened. We're talking about the CFP, but Colorado, who went 1-11, is being talked yeah. about almost as much as anything that's happening in the college football world. Like, that is how relevant they are now just because of one hire that they made. It's and It reminds me a little bit of Mike Leach to Washington State, but Mike Leach had big-time proof of performance as a coach. He just had some baggage that people were going, okay, is he worth it? Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is a number. Mike is in Portland. Mike, what do you think of the hire? Well, John, let me put this in perspective. You know, out of 130 colleges, there's only like 13 black football coaches. And I look at Dion's resume. I mean, this guy's resume is awesome. Pro, pro football, drafted in the, in the pro uh, baseball, and on and on and on and on. And the thing about it... <clears throat> I think that Dion is going to have an inside track on recruiting the best black talent in America because obviously of who he is. So it seemed like to me that he would have been an obvious pick for any school. Now, I look at Dion Sanders. is 55 years old. Dan Lannon, he only been in uh, coaching two years. At 35, he's making as much money as Deion Sanders coaching. And so 
something ain't right there, man. Something just ain't right. And after this year that Dan Lennon had such a uh, letdown in, in some people's opinion, the people are coming out, the apologists, oh, don't let him go. If you talk about firing Dan Lennon, you can't come on my show. You got people putting him up. Now you got people talking about, well, we don't know if if um, uh, Deion Sanders is going to make it. We don't know this. We don't know that. You see the different type of, of attitude? And I'm just thinking, man, this if this don't outline how, I ain't going to say racist, but how the, un, there's not a lot of opportunities for black coaches. Yeah. Well, look, at, look at the Pac-12, that, Mike. Mike, I'm not going to cut you off here, but look at the Pac-12. There are no black basketball coaches in the Pac-12. There were three black football coaches in the Pac-12. Two of them got fired, and the other one, David Shaw, quit and left. I got to give Colorado some credit for looking at a diverse candidate and going, "Look, we're going to hire Deion Sanders." And guess what? That's that's comes in the wake of Carl Durrell, in the wake of Mel Tucker. Three black coaches in a row at Colorado. I think Colorado is saying, uh, you know, look, we have an important role here. I, I agree with that. Like I say, I think it's a great thing, but I'm just saying that if you stack him up, 55 years old, and all the stuff that he's done to promote football and everything else, that he, he got, he's 55 years old, Dan Lennon, yeah. 35. He only got two right. years' experience. I, I think what you're saying is, like, all the questions that are about Deion Sanders here, I think there's still some questions about Dan Lanning and his age. And, you know, we saw some mistakes, some errors in coaching this year that were – that looked like youthful, inexperienced heirs. Uh, now Dan Lanning has added Will Stein to his staff. Um, you know, Stein's 33 years old. He's going young, too. I think we have a very young coaching staff at Oregon. I think there's some different kinds of questions, though, for Dion because, you know, look, the, the thing I always wonder about when you see a celebrity put in any kind of leadership role, whether it's politics or business or uh, being promoted as a head coach, uh, and hired as a head coach. I always wonder, are they really in it to do the work? Like when Terry Porter was hired by the University of Portland, I went, all right, is this a fundraising hire or is Terry Porter really want to work? You know, we saw Clyde Drexler uh, at Houston go play golf instead of coaching his team. Um, I think Deion Sanders proved at Jackson State that he's there to work. And you don't go undefeated in that level. You don't win back-to-back -back conference championships at that level without working but I also think his genius is going to be in the recruiting portal it's going to be in recruiting and the transfer portal rather and I think we've already seen it at Jackson State now can he can he replicate that at Colorado where the academic standards are going to be higher I'm curious about that but I think it's I if I'm Colorado and I have a chance between go to the retread pile or take a shot on coach prime I would do what Colorado's doing and they're doing it at $6 million a year, it's going to put Deion Sanders on par with Kyle Whittingham as the number two or number three highest-paid coach in the Pac-12 conference. Mark's in Portland. Mark, what do you think of it? Uh, well, I just uh, – I, I really think uh, you, you're, he's – Mike is kind of uh, discriminating against age when he talks about, you know, Oregon's coach. He's, Ageist. He's 30, yeah, and, I mean, if, at the beginning of the season, if you were – the projected wins for Oregon for the season, I think, was nine or nine and a half. So they still got a chance to beat that with a bowl win, and they lost two conference games by a total of seven points. So, and he, his quarterback, 
uh, when he was healthy and was a dual threat, they had arguably one of the top five offenses, a, dynam- a really dynamic offense that probably would have ran the table in, in the conference without that injury. So I'm excited about Dan Lanning's future. Yes. I, don't, I don't think anybody would say that we should fire uh, the, the Ducks coach. And I think the Colorado hire is a great hire, obviously. I mean, legendary football player, great uh, all-around athlete uh, who's going to definitely uh, attract a lot of a talent there. And you guys are going to have to help uh, explain to us what, what the portal and how it's affecting coaching because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like these coaches are going to have the ability to discipline players because they can just say, you know, especially the ones that are pretty good, they can say, you know what, I, I don't need to be told to do this or do that. I'm just going to jump in the portal. I mean, it, it's almost like a semi-pro situation or an eight-man flag football thing where you know guys are just changing teams every year and it's it's really kind of uh i don't understand it i just i don't understand you know did did uh, david shaw retire because of the portal i think um, so i think he did yeah. i think in part he did and look it, for people who don't know the portal opened today thanks mark for the call It opened today. Uh, A flood of players jumped into the portal. There's going to be more. There's going to be so much movement, it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, The players now have 45 days uh, in this window to be in the portal or out of the portal. I think that's too many days. I think the window is too big. Uh, And then comes uh, May. There is a second window that opens. It's a shorter window, but it opens right at spring football for players to go, hey, it doesn't look like I'm going to play here. I'm going to opt out. But it's, it's messy. We're going to go to Boulder next. What was that news conference like? Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera will join us. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Coach Prime was introduced to the media. On Sunday in Boulder, and uh, it must have been some kind of circus. Uh, It captured the headlines. As we talked earlier, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with the college football playoff and the bowl announcements and the SEC championship game and the Big Ten championship game that were held on uh, Saturday. But the headlines belong to Colorado football. Brian Howell is here to talk about it. And if you don't know Brian, he has joined us on the show before does a fantastic job uh, covering sports and covering Colorado football. He is the go-to guy on that beat. And if you are somebody who wants to know what's going on with Colorado football, and oh, by the way, right now Colorado football is kind of a big deal, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes beat writer for the Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera and the author of several published books is joining us now. What kind of circus was that, Brian? Well, it was uh, unlike any press conference I've ever been a part of, and as you know, you know, I've covered CU for a few years now, so I've been a part of several uh, introductory press conferences, <laughs> more so than I should have been over the last uh, four or five years. So, um, I mean, it, it was a circus. I mean, it was clearly a celebrity, uh, a big-time celebrity was walking into Boulder, not just a head coach. Give, like, for a typical Colorado news conference in the past few years, how many media members are showing up when Mel Tucker or Carl Durrell are given a talk versus maybe what we saw on Sunday as you uh, approach, uh, you know, Folsom Field and go in for this news conference? Yeah, well, 
I'll just say, you know, a lot of it yesterday was not even media. It was uh, they opened it up to, uh, I mean, there was a ton of former players. There was donors. Uh, I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, there were fans there that uh, it was insane. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how they let that many people in, but um, then maybe a, a typical one you'd have twenty some media members. Uh, this might have been uh, about double that. I certainly saw uh, local media that I hadn't seen up in Boulder and you know since before the pandemic probably. Uh, but it was a lot of it was so many of the fans and boosters and you know, former players there that it just you know it felt like uh, you're there at a at a party or something. And like if, if if you listen to the audio, it almost sounds like you're listening to a, a sitcom with like the laugh tracks you know, because I mean people were laughing at every every joke that Dion would try to make and. Uh, I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, uh, so many cheer, so many cheering, uh, laughing, <laughs> things like that. You know, typically you just have a press conference where the guy's talking and people are asking questions. So this was way different. The, the immediate impression that you got uh, of Dion, his command of the news conference, um, just sort of the energy around him. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it, he's clearly uh, in control and, and very comfortable in his skin, and uh, uh, this is his show. I mean, this is his program now, and uh, he is extremely confident. Um, he had a line where he said, I don't wear cologne. That's confidence I'm wearing. You know, and you know, to, <laughs> to be able to say something <laughs> like that, you're a pretty confident guy. The players in the reaction to that meeting, that video went out, uh, I know it was a snippet because I saw a much larger piece that made Dion look a little better. But what's the reaction been there from players who are uh, on the roster and maybe questioning where they fit in in his program? I haven't, you know, we haven't been around uh, players today, but at least on social media, uh, you know, I've seen several of the players, you know, that have kind of said, "Hey, let's go! I'm ready to rock." You know, I'm sure some of them are nervous because uh, the bottom line is, is as those that watch the Pac-12 and watch Colorado, uh, this was a terrible roster, and uh, they need a makeover. And so there's a lot of those guys that won't be here, and uh, a lot of those guys probably don't even know if they'll be here or not. But uh, the reaction seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, hey, let's get going, let's go. But there's also some guys that are already in the transfer portal that I have heard uh, that they're in the transfer portal because they don't want to be a part of this. I mean, they're not, they don't want to be with Dion's program or, you know, Owen McCown is one that uh, is in the transfer portal, and that one makes a lot of sense because he's a quarterback, and Dion's bringing his son to play quarterback. So um, there's certainly some players that uh, are ready to move on and don't want to be a part of it. What What are you hearing now as far as players who do want to be a part of it? How different does it feel right now with players sort of expressing interest or reaching out or even tweeting, and, you know, how impactful can – coach prime B in year one? You know, I, I think it's going to be huge because what we've seen already, and obviously we know today is the, the opening, the official opening of the transfer portal, uh, just watching social media, there's so many uh, players, like five-star players that, uh, you know, have announced, hey, I've, I've got an offer from Colorado now. Um, you know, there, there's an offensive lineman committed to Iowa, one of the best in the country, that got an offer from CU today, and uh, they're going to try to poach him. And, you know, uh, Travis Hunter, who's at Jackson State, the number one recruit in the country last year, you know, Jackson State got him to flip from Florida State. Um, he actually, uh, on a little snippet of video of Dion talking, uh, you know, I think it was an Instagram Live maybe, uh, Travis Hunter is a video, he says, I'm coming, Coach. So, you know, <laughs> Travis, I mean, 
could Travis Hunter be coming to the, to the Buffaloes? And, you know, things like that are – it's insane to think of what the talent influx could be in Boulder. Brian Howell is with us, Boulder Daily Camera. The uh, salary that is being paid to Deion Sanders, I've heard $6 million. Is that what you're hearing, a little bit above $6 million? It's uh, it's actually it's five years, $29.5 million, so it's an average of 5.9. Uh, it starts 5.5 this year and then goes up 200000 every year. Okay, so that's a lot more money than Carl Durrell was getting. I think he was at three six, three seven, somewhere yep. in that range, even this last year after some raises. Rick George made that comment at the news conference. He said, you know, I don't have the money now, but I, it's coming. Was he talking about media rights money? Was he talking about donor money? Where, where's the money coming from? No, I, I, and you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, you know, a funny comment that he made. Like, hey, we don't have it yet, but, um, you know, I, I think it's more that I mean, they they believe that, that there's going to be an influx of money, a, a donor money, and things like that. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's media rights, but uh, I think Dion's going to make a huge impact as far as the donations they get with this program. And uh, you know, I. I if Rick George didn't think that they could pay that, I don't think they would have offered that. And, you know, the other thing is that they're they're going to pay a, a million dollars more to the assistance than they ever had before. So they're committing quite a bit that they never had before. I love the hire. I think it makes all the sense in the world. I I don't mind the risk associated with it. And I think, you know, it's I think it's less a risk than hiring a young coach or Arizona State hiring Kenny Dillingham with – no proof of performance. I, I think, you know, I'm looking at what Colorado's doing, and I'm going, you know what? They're taking a big swing. If it doesn't work out, what's the downside for Rick George, the AD? What's the downside for the program? Well, I think if it doesn't work out, then, you know, clearly I think Rick, uh, his job could be in jeopardy. I, mean, I think we're that's two years down the road from now, unless it completely is a disaster or there's violations or something like that. But, um you know, that that could be a couple years down the road. And at that point, you know, Rick's getting towards the end of his contract anyway. Um, you know, Rick, he was asked yesterday, you know, what, what's your confidence level? You won't make another hire here. And he goes, I'm not going to make another hire here. <laughs> you know, so I, I think this is probably it for him. Um, and he, that's the confidence he's showing in Dion. But uh, it, there is some risk because Dion's only been a coach uh, for really two full seasons in college. And uh, it's at a much lower level. Uh, than what the Pac-12 is. So I think there's some risk there, and maybe that's part of why other Power Fives weren't coming after him. But I think the potential reward is so high on this one. I agree with you. I, I really like the hire because of what it can do, you know, even off the field. I and mean, I think it's such a – there's such potential for this to be transformational for this program that uh, it's worth the, the money that you're out, you're going to pay him and uh, take that risk. I think it adds value to the Pac-12. It adds some media rights sizzle. I think uh, there's a lot of people happy that this is happening. Um, I, I'm curious what other coaches think about it, and I'll ask them, you know, as I begin to talk to them, they're so busy recruiting, I don't think that they've got, the, you know, their heads up kind of, you know, noticing what's happening everywhere. But uh, I, I really like what it what it is doing. The academic standards at Colorado have always been an obstacle. Uh, Mel Tucker talked about it. Carl Durrell talked about it. Um, was it talked about in the news conference? Will Will Coach Prime get some help from his administration because I think he could be super effective in the portal if he does. Yeah, you know, CU has actually. Um, it was such a big, uh, you know, deal, you know, with the transfer portal, and you know, Carl Durrell, uh, you know, he he told me at media day, Pac-12 media day this year, that look, he goes, I, I've kind of stopped looking at second and third year transfers because I can't get a lot of them into school, 
And, uh, you know, I asked that question at Carl Durrell's firing press conference, and um, the chancellor kind of, you know, was taken aback by that, by Carl's comment, and kind of bristled at it and saying, well, that's just the way it is. It's not going to change. They've changed it. You know, I, I think they've got a lot of pressure from people. Uh, they've announced changes, and, uh, and it's going to be much easier to get uh, transfers into Colorado now than it was a couple weeks ago. And so they have to do that because um, some of these guys that uh, Deanna wants to bring in, including his own son, might not have been able to you know, play for Colorado under the old transfer rules. So they had to change things like that in order to probably lure Dion to Boulder. All right. So what happens now? Because, you know, part of me is looking at, you know, he's got to get his feet on the ground. He's got to get some infrastructure established or is he out? Is he out recruiting? I mean, uh, we're, they were in a window that ended, I think, on Sunday where he could make home visits. How quickly is Deion Sanders and his staff going to be recruiting and trying to assemble a team that can compete next season? Yeah, very quickly. And we're already seeing a lot of that. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is that he's still going to coach Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl, which is on the 17th. And so uh, he's going to be pulling double duty. And, you know, he had a funny comment yesterday that said, hey, I played Major League Baseball and, and uh, football and NFL at the same time. He goes, I can handle this. I can multitask. So, um, you know, he's already been doing a little bit of multitasking over the past week. Uh, he, I don't know how many home visits he'll be able to do, but they're certainly recruiting because uh, there's a lot of kids that are announcing new offers from Colorado today. So they're doing a lot of recruiting. And, frankly, when you're Deion Sanders, you can probably get done with a text or a quick phone call as much as some coaches could get done by flying out to somebody's home. All right, so help me with this, too, because I know when I covered Jerry Tarkanian, he had an entourage. He had people around him, and some of them were the people that were around him in Vegas. Like, you know, it was kind of a Vegas crowd suddenly, and it was noticeable because we were not in Vegas. What was the crowd around Dion like? Will he bring his own people? I know David Platty, the uh, longtime SID there at Colorado, he's retiring or semi-retiring after 40 years. Um, what you know? What is uh, what is the infrastructure going to look like around Deion Sanders, the head coach? It's going to be very, very different. Um, he's got uh, a full team around him. You know, he's got three or four people that handle a lot of his scheduling, and um, I mean, all requests are going to have to go through his team. And so, uh, everything I've heard is that you know, when I make a request, uh, you know, typically, you know, I would go to Dave Platy and say, hey is Carl available on Tuesday or whatever? And Dave would check with Carl and then get it set up if we could do it. Well, this is, if you go to Dave Platy or whoever, you know, Hey, is, is Dion available? They have to go through Dion's team first and find out if he's available. He's got a social media team around him. They film everything. And uh, his son is, uh, is leading part of that. Dion Sanders jr. Is leading part of that. And uh, I mean, there was video cameras everywhere yesterday. And uh, he said in the press conference, he goes, look, we do documentaries here, and we're, you're going to see cameras all over the place. And, you know, we thought, I mean, how many times – I'm not sure I've ever seen uh, somebody on social media, a coach talking to the team for the first time, a new yeah. coach. They, <laughs> th they threw it out there. And it was a 15-minute video that um, was probably a little unfair um, to have, have that out there for some of those players uh, being, uh, being told what they were told. But that's what they do. They're going to film everything. And it's his team that's kind of controlling all that. And I think it's like 10, 12 people. I was trying to think about this. Is there a splashier hire that Colorado could have made? Because 
you know, if Chip Kelly goes to Colorado, I don't think it's as splashy as this because I think people have already seen Chip Kelly coach in places, you know, in the Pac-12. If Nick Saban said, hey, I'm leaving Alabama for Colorado, you know, I just want to start over and that I'm going to ski there in the winter and I'm going to coach football, I think it would be less splashy than this. It, it feels like this is as splashy as it could have got within a reasonable hire. Like, you know, is this isn't like Tom Brady coming to Colorado and coaching football. Deion Sanders is got some proof of performance at Jackson State. But what was the reaction with season ticket holders? And are there any naysayers in that Colorado community that are calling this out going, this is just a circus. It's a, it's a sideshow. Yeah, there, there's some, but not nearly as many as, uh, as the people that are excited about it. And I've, I've already heard from people that, you know, season ticket holders that said, I was ready to get rid of my season tickets, but now I just renewed today. You know, and they're all excited about it, and um, I think that place is going to be rocking next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they sell out, you know, most every game, uh, at least, at least early on. You know, when they find it, when they try to see what this is going to look like. But um, I'm not sure there's a possible splashier hire you could make. And you know, Nick Saban might be the closest thing you could get to something like that. But all the other candidates that we had talked about before, nobody would have had anywhere near the same amount of people there. Uh, nobody would have brought the same energy, and uh, especially over the last week, when it was when Dion was the target, and, there, and that's the name everybody was talking about. Had it not been him, this fan base would have. Uh, I'm, I think some of them might have jumped off cliffs and uh, you know jumped off the flat iron somewhere and said, "All right, I'm done." Brian Howell, Boulder Daily Camera. I hope you're hydrated and ready for the circus because you're in the middle of it, and I think it's going to be a fun football season. Let me ask you one final question before I cut you loose. Uh, what are, where are the expectations for next season? How many wins does the fan base uh, expect in year one from Coach Prime? You know, I, I think I think the fans are, are expecting there to be some wins and get to a bowl game. And you know, there's there's some high expectations. And you know, he was asked about that yesterday. You know, how how do you live up to that? And he goes. Whatever their expectations are, mine are higher. You know, and you know, Dion's expecting to compete for championships, and that's just the way he is. Um, I think fans would love to just get to a bowl game and, and you know, just get back to winning and being relevant again. And they're relevant right now, but they've got to be relevant on the football field. Brian Howell, I appreciate you. Good stuff. Good luck. Thanks. Appreciate it. There he is. Hey, look, I'm going to tell you, as a media member. I would, I would, I love this hire for the Pac-12 because it makes it more interesting. It brings some eyeballs from around the country onto a conference that everybody, uh, you know, not everybody, but people outside of the Pacific Time Zone often dismiss. This is what the Pac-12 wanted. It wanted national attention. It wanted to matter. It didn't make the playoff. It was very disappointing on Friday, but somehow the conference ma managed to matter. It wasn't that Colorado you know, reached into the uh, normal place where college programs hire coaches. Nope, Colorado painted a little outside the box, and I like the hire. I like it a lot. I, I, I don't see the downside at all. Uh, we'll shift to Will Stein, the new hire at the University of Oregon, and plus the bowl matchups in the Pac-12. I'll tell you what I think of the matchups, which games I think the Pac-12 will win. All of that's still ahead. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
All new episode of Konzano and Wilner, the podcast is out. Make sure you're subscribed to that. Uh, if you're not reading me at johnconzano.com, make sure that uh, you grab a free subscription or you grab a paid subscription. Uh, I uh, have given a total rundown of the Pac-12's bowl picture. Did that yesterday. Uh, I'm working on something about Will Stein, the new offensive coordinator at Oregon. I have confirmed, like several others, that he will be the hire at the University of Oregon. Um, I asked around. I asked some uh, sitting Power 5 conference head coaches who know Stein, know his work. Uh, they say that he's won everywhere he's been. They like uh, the creativity he has on film. His background is obviously on the uh, passing side of offense. He was a quarterback at Louisville where he played for Charlie Strong. He was a uh, star high school quarterback in Kentucky. He won three state championships as a player. Uh, but he's been uh, calling the plays at University of Texas San Antonio. Uh, very creative, known as a guy who uh, likes to throw the ball. So it uh, looks like that's the direction Oregon is heading. Should be interesting to see what they look like. That said, I actually think the bigger questions for Oregon are on the other side of the ball. I think Oregon really struggled defensively down the stretch this season. I was very, I was underwhelmed uh, uh, about what I saw from Oregon in the Washington game. And I was underwhelmed by what I obviously saw in their season finale and their loss during the regular season finale to Oregon State. Uh, by the way, uh, for those of you who are looking for the big splash, I'll give you one. How about uh, DJ Johnson, uh, the University of Oregon uh, tight end turned uh, defensive lineman. His college career is over. Six-year senior will not play in the Holiday Bowl. He's preparing for the NFL draft. Dan Lanning said um, that there were some uh, comments that uh, were made to DJ Johnson, but uh, apparently uh, he uh, took a shot. People have seen the video at a fan on the field. Uh, Dan Lanning says he wishes DJ could have had that moment back. It was an intense situation. But he's trying to prepare for the NFL draft now. We'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Leave it here. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I find expectations to be interesting. You know, I find that most of the time when people have an issue with uh, just uh, with almost anything, that often expectations are at the root of the problem. Give you an example. Oregon State and Oregon's football seasons. Nine and three, both of them. Beaver fan ecstatic. Duck fan disappointed. Why? Both nine and three, very respectable. Look at the history of these two programs. You know, look back into the 80s. You take nine and three, hell yeah, they take nine and three. How about the 70s? They take nine and three. But Oregon's season for about four or five weeks felt like it had a shot at the playoff. Even after the season opening debacle in Atlanta, against Georgia, it felt like Oregon was knocking on the door. That if they could just keep Bo Nix healthy 
and win the games they were supposed to win. They'd be right there. In fact, they probably would have. But uh, Oregon fans uh, disappointed. Oregon State fans ecstatic. Nine and three, nine and three. It all comes down to expectations. Um, guys, the off-season expectations for these two programs. I want to deal with it a little bit. We'll take some phone calls. We'll play some punch it audio this hour. Anna will pop in, I'm told. Uh, we got the 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. But, Judah, Stephen, expectations for the offseason for Oregon and Oregon State. Where do your minds go when I say that? For me, for Oregon State, this is first is to jump into the portal and try to get a quarterback. And I think that we've been talking about this so much that Oregon State would be a top 10 team if they would have had a you know a competent quarterback. I think that's that is you know much needed number one thing. The number one target on the Oregon State list is go in and at least get a quarterback to compete. Right, Bengal Branson may win the job next season, but go out there. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are in the portal that have already put their name out there. Go out and get one of those guys and bring him back to Corvallis and have them compete. I think for Dan Lanning and the Ducks, you know, I think it's just to try to hold on to as many players as you can. You know, we saw Justin Flo just hit the portal. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Who else is going to hit the portal as well for the Oregon Ducks, and who's going to stay? I'm very interested in that. And you know, I think that Jane Lanning does a really good job recruiting. You know, and he's did it last year. He said he brought in, I believe, ten transfers a season ago. I don't know if they bring in that many this year, but how how many can you hold on to the Ducks? Because I, I, it seems like one of those things where it was a disappointing end to the season for Oregon, and now they're going to the Holiday Bowl, which you know is kind of a disappointment to a lot of fans, even though in reality it's a good successful season. So do the players still feel like it was a successful season or is it more of a downfall and they're going to leave because of that? I'm really interested in that. Yeah, fasc fascinated by what Dan Landing does on the offensive side of the ball, you know, this offseason. And, and Stephen, you mentioned it. It's hard not to get intoxicated with who the quarterbacks are going to be in Corvallis and in Eugene, respectively, because there's different components at stake with that. I'm also going to put the Duck defense under the microscope this offseason. Like, what is Tosh doing in terms of like game planning, schematics, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, what What does signing day look like? That's obviously going to be a huge question because I was not impressed with what Tosh did as D coordinator on the field. So he better be getting some five stars. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. If you're a Duck fan, you, you better be getting some five stars on that side of the ball if the on-field product this year looked like that. Yeah, I think uh... – you know, that I think that was a big problem this season was the defensive side of the ball. And even when people keep asking me, they're like, what do you think of Will Stein? I'm like, can Oregon get a stop? Because if Oregon can get a stop, you know, it, it puts less emphasis on what they have to do offensively. Is the guy going to have to score 50 points a game to win? Or is uh, is he going to get some help on the defensive side of the ball? So I think that's that's a big question. And I know um, I I'm not as hung up as some other people are especially in this era with the portal about the ages of the coaches and the lack of experience with coaches and Deion Sanders just having a couple years at Jackson State. It doesn't bother me as much as long as you hire the right kind of staff around you. And I think that's, you know, that's what's interesting. And by the way, guys, have you seen the news uh, about Willie Taggart? I have, yes. Yeah, I heard Steve, Stephen had it in his update, and yeah. I just stopped laughing. Willie Taggart uh, appears to be headed to Colorado as an assistant coach for Deion Sanders. <laughs> so, you know, I think this is going to be really. I think it's going to be. It's going to be really interesting. Florida to see. State. 
Uh, I, it's going to be interesting this to De- see it, it all come together. Yeah, the Deion Sanders hire just it is unpredictable. Like in all sorts of like, there's going to be crazy things that happen that we're not expecting, and it's fun. Like it's fun to think Colorado is going to be relevant, no matter if they're good or bad. Like they are relevant, and we're talking about it. It's it's really cool. By the way, I'm excited about the Vegas Bowl, where Oregon State <laughs> will be playing Florida in the Vegas Bowl. That's going to be fun too. You're let's go to the, the Vegas Bowl, Joe. Let's yeah, let's go to the phone lines. Cam is in Eugene, wants to talk about DJ Johnson, wants to talk about the transfer portal. Where do we start, Cam? So it ended up being nothing with DJ deciding to just focus on the NFL, but it kind of left me wondering what if he was a sophomore? What would happen disciplinary-wise, and what can you do with the transfer portal? Because you look mm-hmm. over at Alabama, Nick Saban's not going to suspend a player for punching a kid on the field or, or a fan on the field, as terrible as that is, and it shouldn't happen, but you know, when you're in competition and you're trying to beat the Alabamas and trying to get and stay on that level, can you suspend a kid when he can look across the the or across the country and say, "Well, I could just go over there," and then they're not going to worry about it? I think it's a, it kind of provides a new layer. And, and and why should the why should the standard be different on the West Coast than it is on the East Coast? Yeah, and so I think it it really just kind of left me wondering about that. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think we're we're going to find out pretty quickly whether or not coaches have uh, the ability to discipline players, whether they have the ability to discipline, uh, you know, will disciplinary uh, action cause a player to just go, oh, I'm going to get in the portal and go play for somebody who won't discipline me. I think the answer to that is probably pretty apparent. But it will come back to, look, look, on Friday night, and we haven't talked at all about this, but on Friday night in Las Vegas, it was the transfer portal, USC, against culture, Utah. It was the longest tenured head coach of the Pac-12, Kyle Whittingham, against Lincoln Riley, one of the new guys. It was uh, the NIL king in Caleb Williams against just Utah in hey, guess what? We got a backup quarterback playing running back. We're down to our second or third tight end. Uh, we're all banged up. And I thought it was really interesting to see how that played out. And I started thinking about which programs in the Pac-12 have the best culture, which programs in the Pac-12 have that kind of infrastructure. And I started making a list. And I don't want you guys to think too hard about this. Just spitball with me. When you talk about culture in the Pac-12, I identified really three programs that I think have the best culture right today in the Pac-12, and then something struck me. Just spitball here, guys. Who do you think in the Pac-12? We talk Utah. Who else has good culture in their football program? Oregon State. Yeah, you got to say the Beavs. Yep, sure. I, 100%. I thought of them. There's one other that came to mind. It's a little different, but I thought about Chip Kelly at UCLA. Ooh. And I, just because I think he's got his own sort of culture that he's developed. And, you know, it may not be for everyone, but it's 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 culture, and he had some success. What about Washington State? You don't throw them in there? I I would, but I think Jake Dickert is so new on the scene. I give him a – you know, he's been there really a year and a half, and they had the Nick Rolovich disruption. So give him more time. And it's not a knock, but the more I started thinking about it, then I looked at who are the longest tenured coaches in the conference. It's Kyle Whittingham, and then guess who's number tied for number two? It's Chip Kelly and Jonathan Smith. 
He's the Jonathan Smith is the second longest tenured coach in the Pac-12, tied with Chip Kelly. So, when you think about it, it you know it really is you you know in order to be a long tenured coach, you got to have some success, but you it takes time to build culture. And I wonder about Oregon's revolving door, how much that has hurt Oregon. I worry about, you know, Washington's lost the Chris Peterson culture. I mean, they had to start all the way over, you know, credit to Kalen DeBoer. But, like, it was, it was you know, the talent of USC, undeniable. Addison, Williams, undeniable that they had playmakers on that team that, you know, probably if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt, they probably win the game against Utah. But Utah, once Utah saw a weakness, Kyle Whittingham said it after the game. He said the minute they knew that Caleb Williams was hurt, he said, we went after him. Like, they, on defense, they just they came out. They sacked him seven times. And USC turned the ball over and had not turned the ball over for most of the season. And all of a sudden, Utah could not stop. It was just like watching a boxer who just kept going body blow, body blow, body blow. At some point, the opposing boxer put, put his hands down to block the body blows and got knocked out. Um I don't know. What can we learn from watching that? You know, to me, it seemed like it was almost like the Oregon-Utah game when they when Utah realized Bo Nix couldn't run as well. But the yeah. difference was is Oregon stopped the Utah offense. USC's defense, which we've talked about all season yeah. long, has been making plays, but we thought could give up the big play. They gave up a lot of big plays in that Utah game. And, you know, I think we learned that you just can't count out a guy like Kyle Whittingham and his team. Like, they did this last year. They lost a couple games at the start of the year, and then they got rolling towards the end, and then they rolled Oregon. It's kind of what happened this year, too. You know, they lose a couple games at the start of the year. This time it went a little farther. They lost a game in the middle of the year, but at the end of the Pac-12 title game, they end up rolling again. So, I, you know, it's one of those things you just cannot count out Kyle Whittingham uh, at any point. Like, he might be the best coach in the Pac-12, and it may not be even that close. Yeah, if you play Utah, maybe don't paint F Utah on your fingernails. Yeah, I don't get that. that. I don't get that at all. I don't get it either. I I don't really know where I stand on Caleb. Like, well, did you hear? The, did you hear Cam Rising's quote afterwards? Yeah, I did. Like, he didn't give a bleep Loved about it. it. Yeah, that, Loved that, it. Though. That's how you handle that, right? Like, yeah. That that was well done. And Caleb, the player, I'm still lower on than I feel like most people. And then Caleb, like between the ears, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure I'm a big Caleb Williams fan right now. And I know he popped the hammy, but you could tell he popped the hammy. He made sure everybody knew that he had a popped hammy. Body and language taping was his terrible. hand up on the sideline after the yeah, game. Like, terrible he's doing, go body to the locker language. Room. Terrible body language. I was telling, I was, you know, my wife and I were watching, I, was, I had it on mute, but I was just like, dude, he's a great player at, in moments, but I've got big questions about him still. Is it bad that I, I, I can't officially say this, but unofficially, uh, I cast my Heisman vote. Oh, I included boy. him on my ballot. Well, I also down. included one other Pac-12 player who plays quarterback who uh, is announced that he's coming back for another season. I'll just say it. Heisman people get mad at me. Michael Penix Jr. is on my ballot as well. Um, I, by the end of the game, really had to, you know, I, I, we're supposed to judge the body of work for the season. And Caleb Williams, I think, on paper and what he did for USC, I think without him, they're not that team. I don't think they would have been in the playoff rankings. But I I felt like even with him popping the hammy, I felt like, gosh, I really don't like the guy. I don't. I'm like you, Judah. 
But gosh, he's really been great, and I think I need to acknowledge that by giving him a vote. Was I wrong for giving him a vote? No, he deserved it. He had a great year. Oh yeah, phenomenal year. What, I, Rob, afterwards, I was. Vote, well, I get. I don't know what you can divulge. Did I miss it? Did, did you it. vote him for? Yes. Heisman? Okay. Yeah, I put. I you vote one, two, three. I put. I put Caleb Williams one. I put Michael Penix Jr. two. I'm going to be accused of being a Pac-12 homer, but I feel like the uh, voters in the South and the East are not going to recognize what Penix did for his team. He was phenomenal. And then uh, I put a non-Pac-12 player third that uh, that everyone was talking about. So um, wow. I will leave it at that until it comes out. But because they say we're not, I'm not supposed to say my ballot. Well, I didn't. Can okay? you write in candidates? No, no. It has to, well, yeah, you write them in, but it has to be. People have put ridiculous things on. You write in all three players, so you put the player's name and you put their school. So it's a very complex process, and then you get to the end, and it's like fill in these three blanks. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is if you cast a ridiculous ballot, they'll take your vote away. Because one time, one of the voters in the Pacific Northwest put the Portland State quarterback <laughs> as as the Heisman winner. And the next year they removed his voting right, his voting rights. So you can't be stupid about it, is what I'm saying. But let's go to the Brad, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, powerhouse signal there. What's up, Brad? Hey there. Uh, I was just touching on your comment about expectations because um, going into the season as a, as a Duck fan with a brand new coaching staff, I did not expect even nine and three quite honestly um and Bo Nix turned out to be uh complete the right player at the right time for this program and the team gelled better than they did and took us on a wild roller coaster ride but I did not expect them to even be in the playoff conversation with a with a whole new staff going into make, the season what do you make of the duck fan that stripe of duck fan who's just not happy with how things went this season I think that people are spoiled. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been a Duck fan for 30 years, and I just, I, I, you know, it's been such a fun, wild ride the last 10, 15, but, like, it just, you got to remember where we came from, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, your perspective is great about the OSU versus Ducks right now, but I just, I feel like, um, there's a there's a lot of spoiled entitlement in the Oregon fan base. And I think you can learn if you're an Oregon fan. I think you can let, let's just start this. If you're an Oregon State fan, I think you can learn by looking over at Oregon. And I know the Oregon State fan would you know is going to say, "Oh, look at that fan! They forgot where they came from. They're entitled, just like the caller said." But I think you can learn maybe uh, you know if Jonathan Smith continues to win nine games a year, and you get to the point where the expectations rise to it's, hey, you make the playoff, you make a Rose Bowl, or the season sucks. Maybe you just remembered the joy you had in getting to nine wins once upon a time. I think that it's an important bit of perspective for the Oregon State fan. Uh, for Conversely, for the Oregon fan, maybe rubberneck over at what the Oregon State fans are doing right now, the joy that they have in getting to a Vegas Bowl and getting nine wins, and the fact that I think a lot of Beaver fans will travel to Vegas to see them play Florida, make a weekend of it, all that, and maybe just remember what that joy was like. Because once upon a time, 
it wasn't as good. And I'm not saying you should lower your expectations, but I'm just saying maybe just pump the brakes and frame it a little differently. Because I think expectations are good. I think expectations are healthy. I think winners need to have expectations. I think it's okay to be disappointed that, you know, Oregon blew the lead there in the second half and Oregon State came back and beat them. If you're an Oregon fan, you shouldn't be thrilled with that. But I also think, like, when you look at the big picture of Dan Lanning's first season, he has a chance to be a 10-game winner. He has a chance to win a bowl game. He has a chance to use this as momentum or a building block in the way that some other coaches and recent history have used big games or big seasons. I mean, it's it's not a disaster, right, for a season. And it's actually, if you look at it, probably if I had told you at the beginning of the year, hey, 35-year-old first-time head coach, he's going to win. Uh, he's going to go 9-3. and three. You're going to go to a bowl game. Maybe you win the bowl game. You get to 10 wins. I think a lot of Duck fans would have said, hey, I'd take that in year one. But the problem happened at about week five when all of a sudden the rankings started coming out and Bo Nix was playing really well and the Oregon was scoring 40 points a game. And all of a sudden people went, hey, this is Chip Kelly again. Welcome back to Camelot. We're going all the way. You know, people talking about the natty again. I hate that. Start talking about the natty. Look, you got to have perspective, and you got to remember what Utah is trying to teach us. This Utah football program under Kyle Whittingham, they're trying to teach us something. What are they trying to teach us? They're trying to teach us that slow growth and good culture is the way to go. That's how you get to four out of five conference championship games. That's how you win back-to-back championship games. It's a slower build. It is a slow – it's the tortoise and the hare. It's a slow, steady build versus that race to the top and you lose all your assistant coaches and you got to start over in the portal. It's just a different thing. You look at the recruiting classes at Utah, they're not good. You look at the turnover of the coaching staff, they don't have it. His offensive coordinator's been there eight seasons. You know, he, he's not, he doesn't have a coordinator who's packing his bag in the third quarter of the final regular season game. It's just, it's different. And that's what, you know, I think we got to pay attention to that. And so I think 9-3 and three is okay if you're Oregon in year one for Dan Lanning. You don't want to be there perennially. Like, you don't want the, hey, the Holiday Bowl's the ceiling. You don't want that. But I think it's a solid start for Dan Lanning, and I want to see more. Conversely, for Jonathan Smith, I think he has been making a slow build. Look at the growth of the program. And I think it's okay for Oregon State to want to throw a parade after going 9-3 and three because, damn it, sports is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be our escape. It's supposed to be everything that, you know, the pandemic and your job and, you know, you got problems with your neighbor or, you know, you got a teenager. It's supposed to be everything that you're not getting in your real life. And Oregon State gave that to its fan base this year. And in that, I think it was a success. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. I think there's a lot of human nature in play when it comes to the transfer portal, when it comes to the behavior of uh, the kids who are playing college football who opt out of bowl games. Uh, here to talk about it, uh, expert on human nature, Anna, has popped into the studio. How you doing? Oh, yeah, you're spot on on that. Hey, hey we haven't talked really about too much about what happened today at lunch. What happened today at lunch? What happened today at lunch? I was you there. guys want to hear what happened at lunch today? Was there something eventful? Yeah, it was something that happened. 
you wow. you 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 have you have this memory thing. We used I used to think it was pregnant brain. You know what I mean when you were pregnant? We're talking about today at yeah, lunch. Yeah. Today at lunch, we had a big conversation. My parents are visiting. Yeah. So, uh Stephen and Judah listeners, check this out. So, Anna was talking to my parents about the fact that as a kid, my parents used to make used to make us used to say to us, "Hey, we're going to go participate in a fun run." We would do this as kind of a family activity, like a turkey trot, or if there was a community run, could be a 5K, could be a 10K. I ran a 10K when I was like 12 with my parents running. <laughs> and my parents used to subscribe to like Runner's World magazine, and they'd buy the Nike shoes, and the whole family would get in the car on a weekend, we'd drive off to some remote location, we'd run in like a fun run in the countryside or whatnot. And Anna was asking my parents about it, and they kind of were a little foggy on Seems like it was another lifetime, like that happened. And then we started talking, like, well, why don't we do that with our kids? And so we have decided there is, uh, you know, during the Christmas break, we're going to be visiting uh, somewhere out of state that happens to have a fun run that is 13 days from now. It's a 5K, that's 3.1 miles. None of us in our family are running. We have 13 days to prepare for a 5K. Now, I think we could actually do it cold, but I don't want to do it cold. I want to at least go, hey, I went out, went for like a run of like a mile and a half, two miles, so that when my body gets to like a mile and a half or two miles, it doesn't feel like it's hitting a wall uh -huh. in this 5K race that we're going to run. Yeah. Is this a good idea, bad idea? Guys, what do you make of this? Um, I'm happy that I'm not in your family. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, I it's I think you'll be fine. Like, it's not too much, but I'm with you. Like, I would want to at least get a some type of a warm-up before I go out. But that it just sounds terrible. It's not the same as riding a bike, and I'll ride, like, the Peloton or I'll ride the bike exercise bike at the gym or whatnot. But that's not the same as running, like, on the road. <laughs> Judah, fun run? You up for it? Uh, it doesn't sound fun to me. Uh, <laughs> what kind of terrain are we talking? Pretty flat. Pretty flat. But I don't know. Somewhere I, I we're prefer visiting. prefer mountainous. So. Yeah. Yeah, you prefer. Yeah. <laughs> I had prefer somebody. Sandy. I had a buddy of mine. I lived with this guy for a few years and uh, before I got married, and he was not a runner. But in the last few years, big time into running. He's running like four miles, posting on social and saying, yeah, a little light run today. Wow. And he's he's older. He's like, you know, six, seven years older than me. He texted me the other day. I'll be in your neighborhood. Do you want to come running with me? It'll be fun. I said, Man, I got a mile in me right now. I got a mile in me. He's like, I bet you money you can go too. And I'm like, dude, I love money, but I, I can't so go So what if he's miles. just he's like collecting his old friends, running neighborhood to neighborhood? That's right. Catching yeah. up? Just trying to catch up with old friends. And I'm like, bro, I got a mile. Like, you don't understand. Like, I'm not full on dad bod, but I don't have more than a mile in me right now. I, I actually think, like, as a matter of, like, if we go back evolution to, like, the caveman era... <laughs> Like, if I pose this question to, like, you know, uh, Neanderthal man, uh, he would say, you you have to be able to run three miles at all times, like everybody, or you die. Yeah, as a matter of survival. As a matter of survival. Yes. Like, how far should the typical American have to be able to run as a matter of survival <laughs> in today's world? Like, we're not, there's no tiger chasing you, you know, you're not, like, how far should we have to run? How far does it take to get to your Uber and Lyft driver? That's, you know. 14 paces. Yeah, 14 paces. See, that's the thing is, for me, 
the con this is why I was asking your parents about it because you all talk about these memories with fondness and I wanted to know who was the driving factor behind this running that you all did as a family was it your mom was it your dad Both, it had yeah. to be one of them one was of them more motivated than the other and it seemed like it was your mom. Yeah. Like she said, the first run that you guys just up and decided to do one day as a family yeah. was a 10K. Yeah, I did that. And you finished it. Yeah, I, I did that I, race. I was blown away. I was like, well, you guys must have been in phenomenal shape well, to just get up and do a 10K for fun. That's why when I was in Athens for the Olympics in 2004, when I, I said I was going to go to marathon and run the marathon, it didn't seem like it was that big a deal. I'd already done a 10K cold at age 10. <laughs> So I was like, marathon in my 20s? Come on. Right. I also wanted to verify with your parents this story that you've told about the turkey trot. Yeah, it's true. And how you were on hard times and you were running for a turkey because that Thanksgiving you might not have otherwise had one. My parents knew how to motivate us. <laughs> so there's four kids in the family, and my dad said, we're going to run in this turkey trot. And guess what? Uh you know what, if whatever you guys win, and there was prizes for, if you won your age division, you got a turkey. If you were second in your age division, you got two bantam hens. Bantam, bantam hens. little These little two hens. <laughs> and if you're third, you got a can of beans. Okay? <laughs> that was the prizes in our small town. And so, you know, there's several hundred people running in these races. You don't know who's in your age division. But I never run harder than I did at my uh, my fall of my ninth year, when my dad told me you had to win your age division or we weren't going to have a turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> There's a photo somewhere of me yes. holding said turkey yeah. at the end of the race. They gave you a turkey. They gave you a Like at the turkey. end of the race, well, they handed a, you a turkey. Like not a live turkey. No, a frozen <laughs> turkey. Frozen turkey. <laughs> like a 20-pound frozen turkey. Yeah. And so I'm walking off. Yeah. And the my, look at, I know I've seen that picture and it's not a look of joy on your no, face. It's a relief. look of relief. We're going to eat. And my mom won a can of beans that year. <laughs> Same year. So we had beans and a turkey. And uh, to this day, that's legend in our family. And our kids now will benefit from said legend. All parents should do something like this. Create a tradition. That's all I'm saying. But I also think, like, I really am worried post-pandemic about our society, the lack of exercise, and I'm including myself in this. I got out of habit. Like, I was going to the gym regularly. I was feeling pretty good. Pandemic hit. I said, okay, we're going to stay home for a couple months. Like, we all said that. Here we are all this time later. I think people's habits changed and not for the better. Oh, yeah. Come on. Mm -hmm. I wonder. I'd be curious, like, for people who work in gyms or maybe own a gym, what like the gym membership numbers are? I'm not talking about the people who have the auto pay on and just pay the membership and never go, but I'm talking How about that? I'm talking about Who's that. I don't know anyone like, who does that. What are that? the actual numbers of people coming through the doors? Yeah. Today uh -huh. versus maybe like January of 2020. Well, that's the thing is, so during Christmas break, I think this will be our chance to get a jump start on all those people that make the New Year's resolutions. Yeah, we're going to do it early, and 13 days from now. 13 days from right. now. 3.1 miles. We've done this before. We've done the Shamrock Run. We've done the Starlight Run. 
Yeah, that's a and hard run. That is that is an unusually hard run. Yeah, remember when you were running? Because people dress up in costumes in that run, that Starlight Starlight run. That run yeah. is in downtown Portland, and we decided to do that run, oblivious cold. to the fact, also cold, no training, uh, oblivious to the fact that it is actually the run that kicks off the Starlight Parade. So There's I no didn't walking. realize until it began that you are running with an audience of you know. 200,000 people lining the streets of downtown Portland. Pretty uh, interesting. And very intimidating. And and also people are in costume. And Anna was being chased very closely in her race by a loaf of bread. Slice of bread. Slice of bread. The Franz Bakery bread guy was in costume. It, so you did you finish in front of the slice of bread? Yeah, I did okay. because that was my motivation. The whole 5K was just like I kept looking over my shoulder. Don't let the bread catch me. And I'd see me. that slice of bread catching up to me, and I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm gonna be beat by a slice of bread. That's here. A, I can't. You got some pride. Yeah, there was some pride. A lot of there. pride. Here's the other thing that got me on that damn starlight run. We, you and I were do, we were hanging out. We didn't even warm up. No. And all of a sudden the race was starting. Yep. We were talking too much. Yep. We were hobnobbing around, socializing, and then the race started, and I was like, I didn't even stretch. Cramps. All of a sudden, I'm running full speed down the streets of Portland with people watching. It was terrible. And you know, the thing is, I would run. I would turn a corner, and if it was a big crowd of people, it was a busy street, I would run just, you know, run for hard. the shame factor. Yeah, you got to run hard. And then if I turned another corner and it was not as lined with people, that's when I would walk. <laughs> Strategy. <laughs> Shameful so strategy. So listen, in this this race that's happening in 13 days, yeah, we got to do a little bit of exercising. Like right now, we should be out running. Right, we like should do, to, like as soon as the show ends, right now, we should be running. We should run at least a mile and a half. Have I mentioned I hate running? Working it up to the 3.1 miles that we will be traversing in just 13 days. In record time. And by the way, our kids are going to be thrilled when they hear about this. I haven't broken yeah. it to them yet. I Guess what, guys? Together. We're going to do a fun run. There it is. All right. We'll talk human nature after the break. I really do want to talk about the reasons why kids jump in the portal and how much human nature is at play with these bowl games and players opting out of the bowl game. Leave it here. You got the bald faced truth. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's talk some human nature, Anna, just for a moment. We have the transfer portal, 45 days. Uh, there's a window start, it opened today. Uh, it'll be 45 days in length, and uh, there is uh, a whole bunch of activity in there. It'll be a record number of players that enter the portal. Um, it will be, uh, it will, uh, I think, you know, w there's some speculation that there may be a bowl team at some point that says, we can't play. We have too many players in the portal. Um, it's that, it's that active. So you got, you know, a bunch of people jumping in the portal. You also have college players who are going to go to the NFL that are opting out of bowl games, going, hey, it's not in my best interest to play in this meaningless for some postseason bowl game. I'm not going to play in this bowl game. Uh, notable player in the Vegas Bowl is uh, the Florida quarterback, Anthony Richardson, 
who is saying it's a dream of his to go play in the NFL, and he is uh, opting out of the Vegas Bowl. He will not play against Oregon State. So what do you make of human nature when it comes to that? And then let's throw another log on the fire. I talked earlier in the show about expectations. Nine and three at Oregon, nine and three at Oregon State. One fan base is uh, distraught. The other fan base is ready to throw a parade. It's it's human nature all over the place in sports. I wonder if the bowl system is on its way out because of the way that the things are now um, and the priorities that players have uh, <laughs> with with their futures. It just feels like the bowl system. It's like what are what are you actually playing for anymore? It feels less and less important. Am I wrong about that? No, and I mean I think it's been several years where players have been opting out and people say, "Hey, these these smaller bowls, if you're not in a New Year's Six bowl game, um, you know, why should the players play? Because there's it's not a big time bowl game, not a lot of eyeballs on it. Why play in the Vegas Bowl and risk getting hurt? You know, if you're in a Rose Bowl, if you're in the playoff, different equation. You're playing for the playoff. But I'm wondering if we might marry these things together at name, image, likeness, and the bowl troubles. What if the bowl sponsors gave stipends to the players to play in the game? Hmm. Why not pay them to play in that bowl game? Right. It's not a you know NCAA sanctioned contest. It's a bowl game. It's postseason. It's po- you know they they normally give the players like a swag bag, six hundred dollars worth of merchandise, an Xbox, whatever. Why not just write them a check? Why not just say this is going to be a the first pay-to-play game? How about Vegas? You know, $10,000 to each player on both sides. Uh, so you'd still have some opt-outs because you'd have some players going, 10 grand's not worth it. But you might hold on to the rank-and-file player who is eager to say, I'm ready for the NFL, but on my way out, I'm going to go play in this bowl game and collect $10,000. Yeah. That, that probably will – it probably has to go that way, don't you think? Unless there are some players that are looking specifically to be showcased, you know, on a national stage. How about uh, the transfer portal? There's more players in the portal. There will be more players in the portal in the next 45 days than there are places to place them. <laughs> so there's not – some of the players who go into the portal are going to have to come back out and hat in hand go back to their universities. Oh, wow. There's not enough – places for them to go, or they're going to have to stop playing football. I mean, isn't that just the part of human nature where the grass is greener? I guess. Yeah. The, the opportunity that you don't have is potentially better than the one you currently have? I think so, I think that it makes a statement on society, too, though. I, I don't want to be like an old man on my lawn, <laughs> but I think there are a lot of kids out there, and by kids I mean college-age kids, who uh, have grown up in a era of the video game era where you can reset the video game instead of playing through some troubles, uh, and an era of, hey, I'm playing club sports, but my club team sucks, so I'm going to join a different club next year, and not just working through it and you know getting the satisfaction of like building something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of that going on, and that mentality lends itself to it's not this isn't the right place for me there must be somewhere better for me where I can have more success where I can shine I have to do what's best for me and after consultation with my family and some prayer and they all put out the same statement you know I'm leaving or I'm going into the portal and I'm re- gonna be re-recruited I think there's like a sociology experiment that is happening right now before our very eyes mm-hmm. in sports let's go to the phone lines let's start with Mike who's in Eugene 
wants to talk about expectations, among other things. Mike, what's up? John, it has been a dark month of November. I got COVID. I got a head cold coming back from the UCLA game. And then my ducks went into free fall. I was telling your wingman, the first time I have really smiled, and this is about expectations, when Utah beat USC, and I knew that the Washington Huskies were not going to walk out of the Rose Bowl Tunnel on January 1st, probably the first time I've been happy in about a month. Because (laughs) as a Duck fan... No, I mean, I was there for the pick, storm the field. We threw the biggest frat party in U of O history that night. It was a six-way. It's Two still going. I think that party might still party. be going. Well, it is going inside my heart because the thought of the purple walking out on our field, and I always tease that since Chip Kelly went to UCLA, they just keep it warm for us during the year. I, I couldn't do it, and I was going to look into bird watching a number of other hobbies to give my emotional because the free fall Canzano family that my heart went through because of the game mismanagement, Washington and Oregon state fine teams, but you know, it could have been us knocking UFC's head in with a healthy bow mix walking into the playoff on Friday night. And I hope yeah. coach Lanning learned a lesson. I think they finally showed Remember when you were 36 and you thought you knew everything and then you find out you don't? That was what happened this year, I think, with some of their play calling. But yeah, I, I actually think that that happens about every eight years, no matter how old you are. I think, you know, remember when you were eight and you thought you knew it all? Remember when you were 16, 24? <laughs> it's on eight years. 32, for you. Yeah. 40. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think eight years from now, I'm going to look back and go, I didn't know what I was talking about. I, I just think that's kind of growing up and maturing. That's only for people that have the ability to be introspective, though. Mm. Because there's a lot of people walking around still thinking they know everything, and they're the people who most need to actually reflect. Dave is in Vancouver. Dave, what's on your mind? You know, about the kids that uh, opt out of bowl games. Um, You know, it seems like they're kind of screwing their teammates. You know, you play with these guys all year long. They're the ones that got you to the NFL or helped to get you there. And then you're just going to cop out on them. And I don't like it. I understand their side, but it's horrible. I know, and I think uh, it it bothers me because it uh, is an individual putting themselves in front of the team. But at the same time, I have to admit that if it were my kid and it were a Vegas Bowl and my kid was a sure thing NFL draft pick, I would give pause to telling my kid you should play in this game because an injury in that in a game that you know isn't part of the season is potentially a uh, an injury that you, uh, you know, is it's avoidable injury. And I get it. I get why people opt out of the games. But I'm, I'm more concerned about kind of the marginal player who may not be drafted, who still opts out, or the player who's a later pick in the draft who opts out, who, you know, if it, I want them to make an adult decision, but I want to put $10,000 in front of them and go, hey, Playing the game, you get ten grand. It'll be the only college game that you actually got paid for in your whole time here. Don't you want to pick up that check on your way out? 
make your make now do what's in your best interest. And I think some of the players would grab the check because all these bowl games are sponsored by Tony the Tiger, Kellogg's, Kraft, you know, uh, Cheese It, the Cheese It Bowl, you know, the Vegas Bowl's got a sponsor, the Holiday Bowl's got a sponsor, uh, and the bowl executives are making money, and the coaches are getting bonuses for making the bowl game. So why shouldn't the players and the teams, in this spirit of name, image, likeness, collect a check on the way out? I think they should. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. On Wednesday on this radio show, we will hold uh, the annual Radiothon and auction. If you're looking for Christmas items, Wednesday show is a good place to get them. If you want to bid on uh, Blazers seats and tickets and other unique experiences, or frankly, if you just want to make a donation to the Bald Face Truth Foundation, you can do that on Wednesday. Uh, you can also go to baldfacetruth.org if you would like to make a donation uh, to help some kids in our community. A real chance to make an impact right here with kids who uh, need some help with after-school programs, tutoring, equipment, uh, sports camps, transportation for field trips. You guys are taking care of it all on Wednesday, uh, but you can get a head start on that by going to baldfacedtruth.org if you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation. It is that time of year. Why is that important, Anna? I think it's especially important right now because a lot of kids, you know, coming out of the pandemic are having a hard time re-engaging in school. All the teachers that I'm talking to, school librarians, are saying that, you know, something was lost for sure in the last couple of years. And kids are struggling academically at higher rates than they ever have been. So sometimes it is that co-curricular activity, that sport, that uh, art program, that music program that can prompt them to re-engage with school and keep them engaged in school. Sometimes, you know, you have to keep your grades up to be able to participate in those kind of things. And uh, it's not like when we were little. A lot of those things cost a lot of money now. And for single-parent families or families that have multiple kids, sometimes that's just not in the books. And so there's families right here in our backyard, right in here in our community that need help for their kids. And, you know, we started this foundation because often it's the coaches, it's the music teachers themselves um, that are donating the time, money, or energy to make it happen for kids. And, and that's hard, too. So we're trying to step in and fill that gap and help kids right here, um, you know, where we live. Baldfacetruth.org. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation Wednesday, you can do that uh, by calling in or by bidding on some of the auction items that we will offer. Uh, and uh, we'll do a normal radio show on Wednesday. But in and around that, we are going to be talking about why kids are important. And frankly, uh, this show, I'll be honest with you, I have a lot of fun doing this show. We interview a lot of people. We try to be informative. We try to be entertaining. But in the end, if we can do those things and we can also provide some opportunities for some kids to go on field trips and have a little joy in their lives, like, hell, why not? Why shouldn't we do that? So Wednesday big day on the show. I hope you're here for it uh, as well. Um, over the weekend, uh, we had uh, some big NFL news. 
really bummed about Jimmy Garoppolo breaking his ankle. He's out. The Niners are in a pinch because they don't have the ability now because the trade deadline has passed to trade for a quarterback. They're going to have to get along by either playing uh, their number three quarterback who came into the game uh, in relief of uh, uh, of Jimmy Garoppolo, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, the rookie quarterback, who is now being looked at as the guy who's got to save their season, or do they go out and do they try to do something creative on the waiver wire? But the problem is the Niners are number 25 on the waiver wire. So, uh, you know, I think they're probably going to lean into Brock Purdy, but also hope they can find something else. The 5-5 five at five is coming up. We'll have uh, five big things for you next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, the show's flying along. For those of you listening on 750 The Game in Portland, Monday Night Football's coming up. Monday Night Football. Big weekend of NFL games. Some uh, some of the favorites lost, guys. You had uh, a little bit of a shakeup as teams, uh, you know, it happens, I guess, this time of year. But interesting to see... Um, just a little bit of uh, rustling around that is happening in what was kind of a uh, tumultuous week in a lot of places. Cincinnati beat Kansas City. Dallas laid it on Indianapolis. I guess that wasn't a surprise. 49ers beat Miami badly without Jimmy Garoppolo. How's your confidence that Jimmy Garoppolo out for the season? Niners looking like they were going to be maybe the best team in the league. Now without Jimmy G, how you feeling? Let me, let me throw one at you. Okay, somebody yeah. threw this at me. I got a good friend who's a huge Niner fan who bet on the 49ers to win the Super Bowl, but he got them at 14 to 1. Put a $100 bet on it using uh, whatever it is, DraftKings and whatnot. Got them at 14 to 1. They have no quarterback now, or they have Brock Purdy at quarterback, but Brock Purdy helped them beat Miami pretty badly. Miami's. You know, Miami's going to be a playoff team. So now in the, you know, in the bet back option there where you can get some of your money back, apparently he's being offered $85 back on his original wager. Should he take the $85 back knowing that he has $85 in his pocket without a quarterback or let it ride because the Niners even without Jimmy Garoppolo are still on the board at ten to one, not fourteen to one. Yeah, you let it ride. You let it ride. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of betting back or hedging my bets, but that's just me personally. I know a lot of people like to. I don't like to do it. I think. I feel like every bet that I make is going to win, so I'm going to keep all my bets. So I would keep it. Keep the bet, says Stephen. Big weird NFL weekend, though. I mean, there's just some games that were kind of wonky. Uh, you know, Buffalo did beat New England, so I guess that went as people would expect it. The Packers won. Are the Packers uh, are the Packers like the most disappointing team that is 5 and 8 in the in the NFL right now? Uh I think so. Uh you see Judas Seahawks won. Yeah, that's a huge win. 
huge win. win. It was supposed to be stress-free, and uh, they almost found a way to lose to John Walford. You know, the Rams didn't have Stafford. They didn't have Donald. They didn't have Cooper Cup, and they still almost beat us. Uh, and it took a, a last-minute drive from Geno to get it done, but uh, in the end, poetic, because Metcalf beat Jalen Ramsey for the game-winning score, and those two are huge rivals. So it, it's a big win, and one Seattle had to have, and now it's uh, San Francisco out of quarterback. That NFC West race is is legit, and we get to play the Niners Thursday night football ten days from now. Can't wait. I don't think I don't think you can beat Brock Purdy. You'll be seeing <laughs> the man's thighs. Uh, Have you I, seen that guy's thighs? Biggest thighs in the NFL on a quarterback. Guy. They're pretty big. <laughs> Here's a question uh, for the room. Before I get into the five at five, which I'm going to have to rip through, but I, the Dallas Cowboys are nine and three. I watched them dismantle the Colts. It's the Colts on Sunday Night Football. And I started thinking, like, can you, with the Niners having quarterback problems, can you count the Cowboys as a true contender? Even though they're sitting two games behind the Eagles in their own division, even though the Vikings look pretty good, are the Dallas Cowboys, a sh do they have a puncher's chance to win the NFC? I have an answer on this. I don't think we're going to agree. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that they do. I think that defense is one of the best in the league, led by Micah Parsons, and that's what can win you games in the playoffs. I don't think they need much out of Dak, so I, I do think the Cowboys are a true contender. Yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, you mentioned the Vikings. Uh, we just saw them yep. crush Minnesota not too long ago. I'd be shocked if a Niner fan said the Cowboys were not a true contender. I don't like them. I don't like their team. I, I, here's why I don't like them. I'm watching them last night. They're playing the Colts, and the Colts are spirited, right? Like they're giving it, they're giving it the college try, right? They they don't have a guy who's coaching high school football who's now their interim coach, but the Dallas Cowboys offensively, they they're really they're strange. They've got Lamb at receiver, who's a really good player. There's something weird going on in the backfield with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he he looks uh, he looks off. Yeah, even though he's got decent numbers, I, didn't, I wasn't really impressed with his game last night. Um, it felt like they were just trying to get him a touchdown late to keep him happy. Like, I, you don't often see that in the NFL. You see that in college more, I think. So it felt to me like the Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys went, hey, we better get Ezekiel a touchdown. He's not going to be – he's going to be a problem for us down the stretch. And I just wonder if they will have a game – I they're definitely a playoff team, but I wonder if they'll have a game where – Somebody just neutralizes Lamb, and all of a sudden they're one-dimensional trying to run the football. I don't know. It, I just I don't love them, and it made me it made me like the AFC teams more and more with the injury to Garoppolo. I I started looking at Buffalo. I started thinking more about Kansas City, even though they lost. Uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore um, are both very decent. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati I like a little better, but I I just to win the Super Bowl, I can't see it. And and maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before, but I just can't see it. I mean, I could be talked out of it. Do you think they can win the Super Bowl, or do you think they could just get to a Super Bowl? I think they can win one, but at the same time, you know, we've we've said that they could win one before. And yeah. to your point, they've never gotten it done when it matters most. You know, they'll they'll always complain about the Des Bryant catch in 2014, and they should have been in the NFC Championship 
and you know it's valid, I guess. But at the same time, they folded up. They folded up last year against your Niners. Yeah. I mean, look yeah, at the end did. of the game last year. But like, isn't this yeah. a different team this year? Like it's led by the defense, not by the offense. All those teams yeah, you mentioned maybe. was offensive. This is a defensive team. Yep, avalanche of in points in the fourth quarter. I mean, yeah, that was a, it was a close game into the fourth quarter. And then they, you know, whoop, whooped up on Indy. Maybe it's a weird game. It's Sunday night. They're playing a you know a less than enthusiastic uh, you know opponent, and maybe they didn't look great because you know they their defense did they score on defense. They have a couple of picks. They they looked really good on defense. But I just looked at their offense and I thought somebody they don't look like a they don't look like a tough out to me offensively. And and maybe Dak Prescott plays better as the year gets on and they get into the playoffs. Maybe maybe they're saving Ezekiel Elliott, but. I just kind of looked at he just the body language not great and then he gets a late touchdown he jumps into the Salvation Army you know tub and it's just there's something about that team that is not doesn't feel like a team I don't know but you know I could be wrong but I feel like I think the 49ers could beat the Cowboys in the playoffs even if if it's uh, Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback but I I don't think the 49ers can win the Super Bowl that way and I don't think the Cowboys can win the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl winner is in the AFC. You guys agree with that or no? Yeah, I think uh, I still like the Bills the best. I, they've been hurt a lot of this season, especially on the defensive side, and they still are with Vaughn Miller being out. I think once they're fully healthy, uh, that's the best team in the NFL. Yeah. All right, I'm going to rip, rip through the 5 at 5. Let's go. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. Brought to well, you I... by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Here's what I'm going to say. Four of my top five things here are the Heisman finalists. Stephen had it in his updates. I think it's really interesting to see Stetson Bennett and Max Duggan and uh, C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams and no Michael Penix Jr. among the Heisman finalists. So I'm really going to go with my five at five should have been. Why not? I, I'm curious to see on Thursday when the Heisman finalists come out who the fifth was. And... Is it possible that of the finalists that are there, that Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, I feel like it's Caleb Williams' uh, Heisman to lose at this point, but we'll figure that out. For those of you who are listening to this show, and I appreciate that you're here, we got NFL football next.